0: You know what I mean? Chapter thirty from verse one to twenty. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God, and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command to you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes, and have compassion on you. And gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens. From there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors. And you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your ancestors. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law, and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? "'Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, "'Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us, "'so we may obey it? "'No, the word is very near you. "'It is in your mouth and in your heart, "'so you may obey it. "'See, I set before you today life and prosperity, "'death and destruction. "'For I command you today to love the Lord your God.' to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws, then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed." You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life." And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.
1: I am going to continue reading from Romans chapter 10 on page 974 of the Pew Bibles. Moses writes these things about the righteousness, that is, by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not be in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare in your mouth Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can someone preach unless they ascend? as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news!
2: Thanks, Alex. Nice to see you. My name is Paul. It's good to be here tonight. Uh, not supposed to be tonight. Andrew's supposed to be tonight, but it's good to be here. Um, I'm in a us. Uh, Father, thank you for this building to meet in. Thank you, Father, for, uh, for heating that on this cold day you, you provide that great blessing. I do remember, Lord, those who tonight are sleeping rough, who are cold, who are hungry, and ask, Lord, that you provide. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we have this privilege of sitting with your very words in our own tongue, And again, we pray, Lord, for those who don't enjoy that privilege and ask that you'd raise up many translators uh, who can translate your life-giving words into their native language. But Lord, as we sit in your word tonight, we do need your help, we need your spirit. So we pray, Spirit of God, would you open our eyes and open our ears and our hearts and our minds to see and believe. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen been a pastor now for over 20 years, and I reckon about once a month, uh, people say to me, Paul, why do you do the job that you do? Why aren't you an academic? Why did you leave the field of mathematics? Why aren't you earning megabucks working for a bank or in finance or accountancy? And I always say, I've got the best job in the world. And I really have. What better job than walking alongside the people of God and seeing them grow and flourish in their faith. Uh, What better job than walking through the highs and lows of life with people? But the best part of my job is seeing people turn from death to life for the first time. Nothing beats that. Nothing beats seeing someone become a Christian for the very first time. Over the last few months, I have watched uh, Callan and Deepty and Sue and Dave all become Christians for the very first time. That is so exciting. And nothing beats not just people coming to Christ for the first time, but people coming back to Christ when they've wandered. Uh, many people walk through our doors every single week, and many of them haven't been to church for a very long time, and, and they would once have called themselves a Christian, But then life happens and they wander and they backslide and they drift away from Christ. And it's so beautiful to see God bring these people back to himself. And that's really our theme of tonight, committing your life to Christ or recommitting your life to Christ. I don't know whether you've heard of a man called Robert Robinson. Uh, He lived in the 1700s. He came to Christ through the preaching of George Whitfield. He heard George Wiffle preach the gospel and he gave his life to Christ. Now, Robert Robinson was a poet and a musician. And he was so excited by his newfound faith that he wrote a hymn. And here's how the hymn goes. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing your grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. And it was his hymn of celebration and praise for God's grace and his mercy and his blessings. But then, life happened. And Robert Robinson wandered from the faith. He drifted, he backslid, and he turned away from Christ. True story, Uh, he was in a stagecoach one day, it's like a train, (laughs) imagine a train. There's a young woman in that train and she's reading a book of poems, or actually a hymnal. And she's beaming at this hymn she's reading. And she's got the spirit of evangelism, so she stands up in the stagecoach she says, ladies and gentlemen, I've got to just share this hymn, it's incredible. And she says, come thy fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing your grace. And Robert Robinson cannot believe it. She's quoting the very hymn that he penned. And he said, This is the verse I love most. And she, she read out these words Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Here's my heart. I take and seal it, seal it for your courts above. And Robert Robinson just burst into tears. He said, Madam, I'm the unhappy soul who penned that hymn, and I am that wanderer. I have wandered so far away from Christ, and I'm so miserable. And so she said to him, well, come back to Christ. You could never wander too far. And so he knelt down and recommitted his life to Christ and never wandered again. It's a great story, isn't it? And he committed his life to Christ and then wandered and then recommitted. And I believe there might be people here tonight who are yet to commit yourself to Christ for the very first time. And tonight's going to be a great night to do that. But I also believe there might be people here tonight who once enjoyed this intimacy with God, but you've wandered and you've drifted and you've backslidden. And tonight's a great night to recommit your lives to Christ. We're in Deuteronomy. Got two sermons left tonight and next week. Uh, Deuteronomy, as you know, is, is written where they, the people on the edge of the promised land, they're about to enter this beautiful, bountiful land. But they've been here before, 38 years before, they, were, they stood in this place with their parents. And their parents did not believe, their parents did not take God at his word. And because of that, they wandered for 38 years. And now they're back, about to enter. This is the final speech of Moses. He's 120 years old. And in case you haven't realized, Deuteronomy is really a summary of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And so if you can't be bothered to read Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, read Deuteronomy. And the two chapters we're focused on tonight, chapters 29 and 30, are actually a summary of the whole of Deuteronomy. So if you can't be bothered to read the whole of Deuteronomy, just read 29 and 30. And if two chapters is too much for you, just read two verses, which is Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 and 20, because that's really a summary of the summary of the summary. So let me read them to you. Open your Bibles, Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20. Moses, the great pastor, the great leader, the great evangelist, he stands up and says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, God's people, that I have set before you life, literally or death, life or death, blessings or curses. That's the book of Deuteronomy. Life, if you love God and obey God and pursue justice and holiness, life. But the alternative is death. Uh, Blessings, experiencing God's kindness and God's provision and God's protection, or, or curses. Now here's the clinch, choose life. That's the challenge. You've got these two paths, life or death, blessings or curses. Now choose life, he says, Please choose life. I'm begging you, enjoy the blessings of God. Obey God, love God, serve God, choose life. So you and your children may live. Not just live in a land, but live eternally. Live with God. And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That is the book of Deuteronomy in two verses. We're going to unpack that tonight. Moses asks the people of God to make a commitment. and I do feel our world is commitment shy. It's good to demand a commitment. Looking back on my life, I think there's four big moments of commitments. Uh, one was over 20 years ago when I knelt in a cathedral before an archbishop at my ordination service. And I made commitments and promises to love, serve, and obey God in holiness and purity and to serve His church and to serve His people all the days of my life. That's a big commitment. Uh, Eleven years ago, I stood in front of Rachel and I made a commitment that I would love her and cherish her <laughs> until the death we parted us. That's a big commitment. Uh, a few years ago, I made a big commitment. Uh, when I had formally adopted Sam to be my son, committing to be his dad to the day I die. They're big commitments. But the biggest commitment I've ever made was 30 years ago. 30 years ago in a little room in Oxford, by my bed when I knelt down and I committed my life to Christ. And I said, Lord Jesus, I can't believe you love me, but I want to love you too. And Lord Jesus, I can't believe you forgive me, but... I want to follow you. And that was the moment my life turned around. But you know what? Ordination, marriage, being a father, being a Christian, it's not a one-off commitment, is it? It's a daily commitment to say, today I'm going to be a good minister, a good husband, a good father, and a good Christian. So what does it mean to be committed to God, to make a commitment? I've got two T's. Here's the first one, trust. And the second one is turn. Turn. Trust God and turn to God. So firstly, trust God. The word trust means that you depend on him, that you rely on him, that you believe in him, that you you put all your weight onto him. So who is this God that the people of Israel were called to trust in? Well, you trust in the all-powerful God. And we sing about this, and we sing God is able, and we quote, God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. We love that verse. But do you really trust that, that God is all-powerful? Look at 29 verse 2. Moses summarizes the whole Deuteronomy. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, your eyes have seen all the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land. With your own eyes you saw those great trials, those signs and those great wonders. He says, come on, Israel, you were there. With your very eyes, you saw it. Remember as kids back in Egypt, mum and dad enslaved by Pharaoh who said, I will not let your people go. And you saw the power of God. You you saw his powerful might as he brought those plagues, the frogs, the boils, the blood, the animals, the death of the firstborn. You saw that, you saw the power of God. And you saw the chasing chariots of the Egyptians that chased you right up to the edge of the Red Sea. Do you remember that? You saw it? And you saw the power of God as, as He blowed that wind and, and the, the waters parted and you walked through on dry land. You saw that. You experienced the power of God. Now, Moses said to his people, You have seen God's power. But here's the problem they might have seen it with their eyes. they didn't see it in their heart they might have seen it with their eyes but they did not believe it in their mind or their heart they didn't live by it because verse 4 to this day the lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear he's saying you saw the acts of god but you didn't really see or understand and you didn't really grasp it and that is tragic to experience and see the power of God, but to not really understand or believe it. And I wonder whether that's people here tonight. You, you, you know your Bibles, and you open your Bibles, and you read all the things that God did. But you don't really believe that God could still do them. It's not about having the right theology of the power of God. It's having the right Daily experience of it and trusting in it and saying, Yeah, God can do imagery more than I ask or imagine. The problem with God's people is that they lived life and they viewed life through these things called our human eyes. And all they saw was the problems around them and then their human strategy, their human plans. They didn't actually see life through the lens of God's power and God's might. So part of committing your life to God is saying, I actually trust that you are more powerful than anything and anybody. And you really can do more than I ask or imagine. Do you believe that? You trust in God's power. You trust in God's provision. Look at verse 5. 29 verse 5. The Lord says, During the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness... Your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. That is a terrible verse for fashion-conscious people who like to change their wardrobe every year. These people wore the same clothes for 40 years, never wore out. Sure, they went out of fashion, but they didn't care. But the point is that in the wilderness, there was no shops and no tailors and no shoemakers and there was no supermarkets, but God provided God provided provided clothes for their backs, shoes for their feet. He provided manna from heaven. He provided water from the rock. He was their Jehovah Jireh, their great provider. They had exactly what they needed every single day in the wilderness. But what did God's people do? You expect them to be grateful, but they're not. They grumble. They whinge, they complain, because they focus on what they did not have, rather than what God had provided for them. What did Jesus tell us to do? He says to pray, give us today our daily bread. Do you really trust that God can provide exactly what you need for today and tomorrow and the next day? The missionary statesman, Hudson Taylor, had complete trust in God's provision. He wrote this in a journal. Our heavenly father is, very, is the very experienced one he knows very well his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained 3 million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, we don't expect God to send 3 million missionaries to China, but if he did, God could have, would have ample means to, to, to sustain them all every single day. So depend on that. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Do you believe that? So trust in God's power, his provision, his protection. Look at verse 7. When you reach this place, Shihon, king of Heshbon and Og, king of Bashan, came out to fight against us. That's a scary verse because Shihon and Og are formidable kings with massive armies and God's army, God's people, is puny and weak in comparison. So on paper, there is no hope. But it says, verse 7, but we defeated them. Now, now again, if you read your Bibles from Numbers and, and again the of Deuteronomy, the we there is, is not their strategic plans, it's not their battle plans, it's God himself. Because God goes before them and God goes with them and God will fight for them. That's a repeated verse in Deuteronomy, God will fight for you. See, God protected his people, the, the battle belonged to the Lord. And again, you've got to believe that about your God. There is no battle, there is no mountain that he cannot protect you from. I love that new song, When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain moved. That's the heart of your God. He fights for you. Remember, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So trusting God's power, his provision, his Protection, trust in his presence. It's a beautiful description of church in 29, verse 10. It says, All of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God. Your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, together with your children and your wives and the foreigners living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. All of God's people from the oldest to the youngest, from the leaders and the chief people down to the people who chop the wood, the foreigners. Because in God's eyes, there is no superiority or inferiority, all equal. And they gather together, verse 10, in the presence of the Lord your God. And when you read that verse, you're supposed to be slightly scary because the word of God says that no one can stand in the presence of the Lord and live. Remember when Isaiah came into the presence of God? God. He was terrified and says, "Woe is me, a man of unclean lips." When Daniel came into the presence of the Lord, when John came into the presence of the Lord and got a glimpse of God, they were overwhelmed by His holiness and His greatness and His glory. And here are God's people standing in the presence of the Lord, their God, and I think it exposes their desperate need. Lord, I need you. But as we gather tonight in the presence of God, we don't gather with fear and trembling, do we? Because Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of our Emmanuel, the God who is with us. We don't have to meet in a building to meet in the presence of God. He's with you all the time, 24-7. Again, do you believe that? That that you live your life in the presence of the Lord your God, the mighty one, the holy one, the good one. He never leaves you, never forsakes you. I shared earlier this year about the, the walk that I took Sam and Nate and Elijah on. And we walked around from Balmoral Beach to Chinamas Beach, around the headlands there, around the rocks there. And it's a beautiful walk, except when the tide turns and the tide comes in. Because then the water gets to be about this high and your sun is about this high. And I don't just say, Come on, Elijah, learn to swim. I say, No, let me carry you. Hop them about, let me carry you. Let me carry you through these deep waters until you get to dry land again. That's what it means for God to be present with you 24-7, carrying you, holding on to you, and never letting you go. So trust in that, in his power, his provision, his protection, his presence, and his judgment. You've got to believe that God is a God of judgment. He will not be mocked. He will not tolerate Idolatry or worshipping of other gods. He is the one and only God. He is unique. Verse 17, you saw among them, that is the Egyptians, their detestable images and idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold. Please be careful you don't make an idol of wood or stone or make an idol in your heart that gives you short term pleasure. Be very careful, verse 17. And verse 18, make sure there's no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Please make sure that people within your gathering don't walk away from God to worship false gods and to pursue their identity and their security in all the stuff of the world. Please make sure, verse 18, there's no root among you that produces such bitter poison because when people within the church, within God's people, worship other gods, it spreads, it's dangerous. Verse 19, when such a person hears the words of this oath and they invoke a blessing on themselves, thinking in their arrogance, in their pride, they think and they say, oh, I will be safe, even though I persist in going my own way. What arrogance is that? They think they can walk into the land, claim the land, and in their mind they're going, well, I don't intend to obey God, I don't want to obey God, I'll do things my way, but I'll be safe. No, God's a loving God, God's a caring God. And he's warning them, no, no, God's a God of judgment. They'll bring disaster on the land, verse 19. God will judge the land. And in verse 24, all the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this fear, burning, fierce burning anger? And the answer will be, verse 25, it's because this people abandoned the covenant of the Lord. They walked away from God. They arrogantly thought they didn't need God. And again, as a pastor of a church, I've watched many, many believers do just that. Arrogantly think, I'll, I'll do what I want, live my way, but I'll be safe, it'll all be okay. No, it won't be, won't be okay, because God will not be mocked, and he will not tolerate other gods, and it breaks his heart when his people rebel. So trust in this God who is powerful, providing, protecting, present, judging, but the God who restores, the God of restoration. That is chapter 30. In one word, it's about restoration, restoration. Chuck Swindle says God is a master at turning devastation into restoration, and that is true. In chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, God is basically saying, I don't care how far you have wandered, what you have done, I don't care how bad your life is, it might be a total train wreck, all I want is you to turn back to me, return to me, come back to me, and I will restore you. I actually think that Deuteronomy 30 was the inspiration for the parable of the prodigal son. There's so many connections in that chapter. Remember that story that Jesus told of the, of the man who basically went to his dad, went to God and said, get lost, dad, I wish you were dead. I want to live my life my way. And he wandered and he squandered. And then one day he woke up and thought, this is stupid. I'm living in, in need and there's my dad and he has plenty I should go home. I should wake up and say, Father, I have sinned against you. I, I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hard servant. And so he turns and goes back to God. And, and you know the story the father's there running with the arms wide open, welcoming him home. That is Deuteronomy chapter 30. He's saying, Whatever you've done, come back to God, come back to God. 30, verse 1 when? When, because these things are going to happen, they are going to rebel, they are going to, going to, going to wander. When all these blessings and curses have happened and when, verse 2, your, you and your children return to the Lord, come back to God, wake up and say, I need to come home. And when they obey him with all their heart and their soul, then, verse 3, the Lord your God will, see that word, restore your fortunes. He doesn't just tolerate them, he restores their fortunes. Arms wide open, come home, welcome home. Because his heart, verse three, is one of compassion, one of mercy, one of love. He loves his people and he loves to gather them again from all the nations. This idea of a father welcoming his family back home. And even if you've been banished to the most distant land, verse four, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. It's a beautiful picture of restoration. They didn't deserve it. Their life was messed up, but our God is one of restoration and compassion. Now, that's the God you're committing to. Does he sound like a terrible God? All powerful, all providing, ever, ever present, all protecting, the one who will judge wrong, but longs to restore you. So, trust him and then turn to him. That word uh, return in verse 2 is actually the word turn. When you you and your children turn to the Lord your God. When you do a U-turn and you stop going your own way and turn back to God's ways. Same word down in verse 10. And turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's what God is asking of you tonight, to turn to him or to return to him. What does it mean to turn to the Lord? Well, verse 20, it explains it. You may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. That's it. Turning to God means that you love the Lord your God. In your heart and mind you say, yes, God is God and there is no other. You love him. It's not a feeling, it's it's an action. You want to live your life saying, I want God to be my God. I want to live for Jesus and love like Jesus. I want to, verse 20, listen to his voice. Have ears for what God is saying, not what your friends are saying or what the world is saying. When you open the word of God, this is true and you sit under it, not over it. You listen to him and it's active listening because you actually do what he says. And then you hold fast to him, verse 20. You, literally there, you cling to him. It's that picture of a child clinging onto their father's hand. As I've often said, the hand of your God is much, much, much stronger than your hand ever will be. And he holds you faster than you hold him. That's what it means to turn to him, to love him, to obey him, to cling to him. Here's what I love about turning to God. When you turn to God, you suddenly realized. When you turn to God, you suddenly realize that it is Him who turned you to himself first. It wasn't you, it was him all along. He is the one who called you. He is the one who chose you. He is the one who opened your eyes. That is, De- that is Deuteronomy verse uh, chapter 30 verse 6, an important verse. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him. So unless God has circumcised your heart, you cannot possibly love him. But it's God who works in your heart and transforms your heart and does that inward circumcision, that inward change of your heart. As Jeremiah or Ezekiel would say, it's God who turns your heart of stone to a heart of flesh. It's God who puts the spirit of God in your heart. That's why you turn. You might not realize that, but... If you're here tonight as a Christian, there was a day when you committed your life to Christ. But the only reason you committed your life to Christ is because the Spirit of God prompted you and prodded you and opened your eyes to see Jesus. So all glory to him, not to you. And I love that truth because there are, are so many my, of my family who don't yet know Christ. My mother, my brother, my sister, every single nephew and niece in the UK and lots of offense. I need God to circumcise their hearts. I can preach them so I'm blue in the face, I need God to circumcise their hearts so they might turn to Him and be saved. It's God who changes people, not us. It's a God who delights in His people. When you turn to God, He delights in you. I was really struck by that word in verse nine. It says this, then the Lord your God will make you the most prosperous in all the, the works of your hands, in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your land. He's going to bless you. Here it is the Lord will again delight in you, again delight in you. He delighted in you once, and now he delights in you again and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your ancestors. I'm, I'm not sure that many of us have that in our vocabulary, the idea that God delights in us. Do you ever think like that? God delights in you. He doesn't detest you. He delights in you. He doesn't tolerate you. He's he's thrilled with you. And it's that picture of a father who is delighting in their child. Remember being at a a preschool nativity service. It was slightly torturous. A nativity play. And there's this young four-year-old who had the part of a shepherd with his tea towel on his head. He had no words to say at all. He just walked onto the stage as a shepherd, walked off again. And there's a a bloke behind me. When this little foyer walked onto the stage, the bloke behind me went, yes! I was like, oh, there's a proud dad (laughs) who just loves his son. And I think that's how God feels about us. He sees you and he says, yes, that's my son. That's my daughter who's come back to me and I delight in you. Zephaniah 3 says that he, he sings over you. That's the God you turn to. He changes you, he delights in you, and he, he's, he's not far from you. It's not hard to find him. That is verses 11 to 14. Not difficult, he says not that God asks you to climb a mountain verse 12 it's not that God asks you to cross the sea verse 13 no the word is very near to you it's in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it he's saying God has done everything possible he's revealed himself as clearly and as plainly as he possibly can it's not distant he's close And and as you know, the Apostle Paul picks up these verses, verses 11 to 14, and he quotes them in Romans chapter 10, and he, he equates the word with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to quote Romans 10, he says, The word is near you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not difficult. It's really simple. With your mouth, you use the words, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is boss. Jesus reigns above it all. And in your heart, you trust, you believe that that Jesus existed, he died, and then God raised him from the dead. And if you believe those two things, he's Lord and Saviour, then you'll be saved. Not rocket science. Accessible to anybody Christ is near to you. He's all around you. You hear about him all the time. And God's heart is he wants you to turn and to be saved. I love what a great evangelist Moses is. His, His last words, his dying speech, he's as a great evangelist, he's just pleading with his people saying, please, come on, choose life. Choose life. I wonder how he said that. Deuteronomy 30, 30, verse 90. I wonder how he said that. Is it kind of a, a, a winsome, please choose life? Or is it kind of a, look, just wake up and choose life? I don't think we know. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter how it's said, it's what's that's important. Please, he says, you've got these two rows, life and death. Blessings and curses, or as Jesus would say, you've got two paths, a a narrow road that leads to life and only a few find it, and a wide road that leads to death, and many find that. He's saying, please, come on, wake up and choose life. Just turn to God and actually believe and have life in his name. That's what God wants for you, that's what God longs for you. I want to beg you, church, tonight, just choose life. You might be here for the very first time tonight and you realise that you've been wandering from God. And for the very first time, you're going to commit your life to Christ. That's a wonderful thing to do tonight. Well, I do imagine there's more people here tonight who, a bit like Robert Robinson, once called Jesus their Lord and Saviour. But you've wandered. Oh, you might sit in church every week. You might go to Bible study every week. But you know in your heart you're not living with him as Lord of your life. And tonight's a great night to to recommit yourself to Christ. I'm going to say this prayer. It's going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read it to you first so you know what what I'm about to say. It says, Dear God, Sorry I have sinned against you and rejected you as God over my life. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross in my place making it possible for me to be friends with you again. Please forgive me. Please come into my life and please help me to live from this day forward with Jesus as my Saviour and my Lord. If you want to make that prayer your own tonight, I'm going to pray it again and in the silence of your heart you can just echo it. So Let's pray together. Dear God, sorry that I have sinned against you and rejected you as God over my life. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross in my place, making it possible for me to be friends with you again. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please help me to live from this day forward with Jesus as my Saviour and my Lord.